No one is excluded from obeying God's Word, as Pastor Ed Taylor explains. He tells us to do things very specifically, with great detail, and none of us have permission to deviate from God's precise instructions. None of us have a way out and say, well, you know, there's an exception for me. I know God said to do it this way, but I figured out and I'm going to do it sort of this way. No, we're to do what God tells us to do, even when we don't understand why. This is amazing grace. You've no doubt heard the saying, usually offered as an excuse, that every rule has an exception. But when it comes to God's Word, we'd be far better off to trust and obey. We'll get some encouragement to that end on today's Abounding Grace. As we continue our study of the tabernacle in Hebrews chapter 9, we'll hear that the remarkable details in its construction have great significance. Here now with today's lesson is our teacher, Pastor Ed Taylor. Take your Bibles and open them to the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and also Exodus chapter 26. It is a special day, but we're not going to deviate today from our regular study because we're encouraged. There's some things in this study that are encourage you about keeping your eyes on Jesus Christ. And remember, we're studying through the book of Hebrews, a group of Jewish Christians that are being tempted to go back to the religious system. They have Jesus Christ, and he is better and superior and the fulfillment of everything that they have worshipped. Every piece of the system they were raised in is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And yet through the pressures of life, perhaps cultural pressures, family pressures, they're being tempted to go backwards. And by the time we come to chapter 9, chapter 9 opens up, then indeed even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. And then we're introduced in verse 2 to the tabernacle. If you haven't already, circle that word and write next to it, tent. This was the temporary portable tent that was used for worship back in the book of Exodus for the nation of Israel, that group of followers of God that were delivered out of bondage and slavery in Egypt they were told by God, Moses was, to build me a tent, build me a tabernacle, and that's where I will dwell with and speak to the people. And so he says that the tabernacle was prepared. He starts to give all of the ingredients. And then he says at the end in verse 5, of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Well, we've chosen, we have the time to speak of them in detail. And we want you, by the time we get back to chapter 9, looking at it verse by verse, you will understand what he's referring to. Now remember, the only way to study the Bible, the only way that you can have the Bible speak to you today, the only way you're going to be able to open it and understand what it means to you today is to first understand what it meant to the people that it was written to. That the Bible has a historical and a contextual point in history. 
so that we know Hebrews was written to Jewish believers in the first century. We have to put ourselves in their place. What did they hear and what did it mean to them? That's the interpretation of a text. And only then can we learn how to apply the text. Any other way, if you just open the Bible and read and go, well, this is what it means, you may or may not be right. You may get it right. You might have guessed right. You might have applied it right. But in order to be sure, you have to make sure you understand what the hearers heard and what it meant to them. So that when we get to chapter 9 and he says, hey, remember the old covenant? Remember the old agreement that God made with your ancestors, with those that were delivered out of Egypt? He told them to build a tabernacle. And so that's why we're coming to Exodus 26, so we can understand all about that tabernacle and what it would mean. Because at the time that Hebrews was written, they weren't in that tent anymore. Instead, they had the temple. And the temple was much more grand and big and, and beautiful. It was much more than God ever intended. Truly, if you study the Bible, you'll notice that God never instructed anyone to build a temple. The only instruction that he gave was to build the tent. It was David's desire to build the temple. And I believe it was out of relationship with God. And remember, it was David's desire, but even he didn't build the temple, the first one. His son, Solomon, built it. One of the other things that we're learning by looking at this tent, this tabernacle, is that the whole Bible is one unit. And that it's all important. From the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, the entire Bible is important. Because I know sometimes when you get to the beginning of the year, I know we're a little bit further in the year, but you get to the beginning of the year and you want to read through the Bible. And so you open up the Bible, you start reading in Genesis, and you're like, yeah, this is pretty cool. I'm following this life and this situation. Then you get to Exodus, and you're just like, okay, I can see how God is forming a nation for himself, and he's raised up a leader by the name of Moses. And, I, and then he start, you start to get into the minutia, like we're reading today. You're like, well, you know, why does it matter that I know about the tabernacle? And why does it matter what was used in the tabernacle and what kind of wood and what kind of yarn and what colors, why does it matter? It matters a lot because everything points to Jesus Christ. The whole Bible, that's the big theme of the Bible is God's redemption of man through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we learned last time of the furniture. And remember they built a box known as the Ark of the Covenant and inside of the box, they put the Ten Commandments. At this time, the Ten Commandments. And that would be in the Holy of Holies. But God said, build me a tabernacle, and there I will meet with my people. I will dwell with my people. And he said, I'm going to meet with them, not in the box, not in the box, not through the law, but where did he say he'd meet with them? On top. Remember, there was a lid. And we learned that the lid is called the mercy seat. And there was the mercy seat with the two angels there on either side. And that was where once a year the high priest would come in and spread the blood of the sacrifice. Not in the box, but on the box. And we meet God at the mercy seat. And we learned last time, if you weren't here, you got to pick it up, that the mercy seat actually points to the coming final mercy seat, Jesus Christ. It's amazing and fascinating. So pick up with me in Exodus chapter 26, and let's move on to actual ingredients of the tent itself. Verse 1. 
Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of woven fine linen thread, blue and purple and scarlet yarn, with artistic designs of cherubim, you shall weave them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, the width of the curtain four cubits, and every one of the curtains shall have the same measurements. Verse 3. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and you shall make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain, on the selvage of one set, and likewise you shall do on the outer edge of the outer curtain of the second set. Fifty loops you shall make in one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain, that is on the end of the second set, that the loops may be clasped to one another. And you shall make 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains together with the clasps so that it may be one tabernacle. So we're going to go from what the material is from the inside. And this is the inside of the tabernacle that the priest would see when he walks in. This would be what would be seen on the inside. So the inside, there's 10 different curtains made of linen, and the threads that were used were blue, purple, and scarlet. Um, they're going to be coupled together in fives with these 50 clasps made of gold. Now on the inside, there would be these two huge curtains made up of five each, held together by these 50 clasps of gold. And I want you to notice that there are four primary colors being used on the inside of the tent. And they're very significant. Notice there is the color blue. Now in the Bible, blue speaks of heaven. And it gives us a pointing to the heavenly realm. The second color is purple. Now we've learned that purple is a color of royalty. Scarlet, of course, this dark red speaks of, to us of the blood of the lamb. It speaks to us of sacrifice for sin. And then the very material itself was to be woven in white, white linen, speaking of humanity. And this is what the priests would see when they walked in. Now the number four is interesting, first off, with just the four colors. Because you know, in the New Testament, there are four books that we know as the Gospels that speak on the life of Jesus Christ. Same with me, out loud, you ready? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right in the beginning. These four books have different perspectives on the life of Jesus. So check this out, how the colors fit with the Gospels. Matthew teaches us about Jesus as the King of Kings, which would correspond to the color purple, royalty. Mark, Mark speaks to us as, and teaches us about Jesus as the perfect servant, the sacrificial servant. The color for Mark would be Scarlet. Luke gives us insight on Jesus, portraying him as the perfect man, which would be the white. And then finally, John describes Jesus in his powerful deity, which would speak to us of blue or bringing us into the heavenly realm. Now, at this point, some would say, now wait a minute, Ed. Did they really understand this when they were building the tabernacle? The answer is no. But in that gives us a great insight on our life today. You see, we learned last time that when God spoke to them to build the tabernacle, to build this tent, that he gave very precise instructions. That you could say that God is into the details. 
And he wanted it to be precisely measured and precisely cut and the right colors and the right materials. He wanted everything made and he wanted it made this way. That's the way it is. And oftentimes, isn't that how God is with us? He tells us to do things very specifically with great detail. And none of us have permission to deviate from God's precise instructions. None of us have a way out and say, well, you know, there's an exception for me. I know God said it to do it this way, but I figured out and I'm going to do it sort of this way. No, we're to do what God tells us to do even when we don't understand why. A lot of you, maybe some of you even right now, are holding back from God because your attitude is this. I have no problem doing what God wants me to do when he explains to me why he wants me to do it. And you're waiting for understanding. You have heard from God, you've received direction from God, and in order to act, you're waiting for understanding. You're saying, you know, I'll move forward with the things of God when I understand this, and I understand why, and I get all the answers that I'm looking for. And what that's done is it's stunted your spiritual growth. It's held you back. On your own, you're beginning to lean on your own understanding. Because so many of us can share the testimony that God may not reveal to you ever why he's telling you to do something, but it's a part of his plan. So he gives the precise instruction, I want the inside to be white linen. And I want these particular colors. You can't use any other color. These are the colors I want. And you can think of a possibility of saying, well, I don't know, I don't like this color, and I have more of this color than that color, and this color is expensive, and all the reasons that could come up. But that's not what we read. They made it precisely, even though they didn't understand. And some of you are in a position today where God has given you direction, and we don't quite know what the reason is, except to say that God told you to do it this way, and that you're to follow every detail that God has given to you, and not to veer to the left or to the right. It's part of the new covenant of grace. God fulfills his side of the covenant, and we respond. As it's been said wisely, we we don't live by understanding. We live by faith. That lack of understanding is causing you and me to cry out to God in faith. In the New Testament, we would, to explain this particular insight, we would go to Romans chapter 8 verse 28 and we'd be reminded that God's working all things together for the good, for those that love him, those that are called according to his purpose. And then we cry, wait, I don't understand. I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand why God allowed this. I don't get this, this direction. And we just fall back and say, well, even though I don't understand God, I follow you by faith. I follow you by faith. And so you're right. If you're thinking, man, Those guys building the tabernacle, did they have any idea the significance of all that would happen there? I don't think they did. But now we looking backwards can say, oh wow, the insights that God was showing to them that they didn't even really fully understand except they were growing in relationship. These were the inside curtains. And then there were angels on the inside. They were told to put angels in because angels are very instrumental in the life of Jesus. They were there at his birth. They were there when he was tempted in the wilderness. They were there in the garden of Gethsemane when he told Peter to put his sword down. They were there at his resurrection. 
Angels were very important in the ministry of Jesus Christ as they will be in the book of Revelation. Now notice the next layer in verse 7. So this was the inside. Now it's going to be a covering over the inside. Verse 7, you shall also make curtains of goat's hair. Now goat's hair in the Middle East would be black. So this would be a black covering over the linen, the white linen. So you will make a covering of goat's hair to be a tent over the tabernacle. You shall make 11 curtains. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits. The width of each curtain, four cubits. And 11 curtains shall have all the same measurements. And you shall couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. And you shall double over the sixth curtain at the forefront of the tent. And you shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain, that is the outermost in one set, and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain on the second set. You shall make 50 bronze clasps. Put the clasps into the hoops and couple the tent together that it may be one. The remnant that remains of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains, shall hang over the back of the tabernacle and a cubit on one side, a cubit on the other side. By the way, a cubit is about 18 inches it's about the distance from your elbow um, to the tip of your finger in that area. And so he says, Of what remains of the length of the curtains of the tent shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side, on that side to cover it. You shall also make a covering of ram skins, as we'll get to in a moment. So the inside linen now was covered with this black covering. And notice now he told them to make 11 separate curtains, an odd number. And so we want to look through some some numbers here with numerology. So no, we don't only have typology with the colors and the materials, but we also see numbers being used. And here they were five on one side and six on the other. Six in the Bible is the number of man or of flesh. You might be familiar with the number six when you get to Revelation. The number of the beast is what? Six, six, six. Six is a number of man. Five happens to be the number of grace. So you see now in this layer, you have flesh, a man, and grace met together. Now, 11 in the Bible is a number of disorder. And so you have 11 curtains made up of flesh and grace. So stay with me because they were brought together with bronze clasps. Bronze or brass in the Bible speaks of judgment, linking them together. And the judgment that's upon man links grace and man together. How would you ever understand grace unless you understood judgment? How would you ever understand the grace of God and the price that Jesus paid for you and me unless we understood what we deserve as they come together? Now these two curtains, the goat's hair and the fine linen together also speak of Jesus Christ because on the inside is this beautiful scene of heaven, the beautiful tapestry of the, of the heavenly realm and the angels, but over it is black. Inside wonderful, but he who knew no sin became sin for us as he hung on the cross. So ugly was the sin upon our Savior that the Father turned away, and it became dark while Jesus hung on the cross for three hours, darkness covered the land. You see, the tabernacle, even in these first two curtains, would speak of the beauty of Jesus and the darkness of sin that sent him to the cross, where grace meets humanity. 
but that's not all. Notice verse 14, another covering. There's actually four total. You shall make a covering of ram skins dyed red for the tent. You don't need to know. I don't need to teach you by now. You know that red represents the blood of Jesus Christ. And so here you have another covering, the ram. Now jot it down. We're not going to turn there. But in Genesis chapter 22, we already learn in the life of Abraham and in the sacrifice of his son Isaac that God provided himself a sacrifice. You know what it was? A ram caught in the thicket. So instead of Isaac being offered to God, God received an offering, listen, God received an offering that satisfied him that he himself provided. That's the work of God, all within the tabernacle here. So this ram skin that's dyed in red covers the blackness, speaks of heaven as the blood covers sin. And the death of sin. There's a fourth layer. Check this out. Verse 14. And on top of that, put a covering of badger skins above that. Now, badgers are not the prettiest animal on the planet. And their skins aren't either. This was the outside. This was the covering. This would be the top of the tent. So that as you were walking by, that's what you would see. You'd see the badger skins. Now, why is this significant? Well, when the Moabites came by the camp of Israel, they would see tents all over the place, and they'd see that tent in the middle, but it would be badger skins. It would be normal and common. This would be the side that the, that the Moabites saw. This would be the side that the Canaanites saw. From the outside, the tabernacle looked like any other tent. It was shaped a little bit differently, but there was nothing on the outside that would make you think there's anything beautiful on the inside. I had a hard time trying to grasp what this might be, but if we were to take a tour down to Cherry Creek and we'd see all the mansions there and we just kind of imagine, wow, look at the outside. It's amazing. It must be even more amazing on the inside. And so we're going on a little tour of mansions and we come across the mansion that's all boarded up with plywood and and the stucco's all coming off and there's holes in the roof and we're like, oh, there's nothing about that mansion. There's nothing. We just pass by to the next one. But they say, no, 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 you need to come in. Don't let looks deceive you. And when you walk in, it's just as beautiful as anything else. You walk by and you go, there's nothing there that would make it attractive to me. But on the inside, that's what matters. It reminded me of a couple things. First of all, that's really how the world operates. Do you know the Bible says that man looks at the outward, but God sees the heart? And it's true, that's all we have to judge. When I look out, all we can see is the outward. And as a church family, you know, maybe even thinking about how how this building, you know, this big square building that we meet in, when you drive by, it's even hard to tell what it is. That's one of the reasons why we added church to our name, because it's hard to even tell what this is. So what is that big building? What do they have? Is it just a school? Is it, do they do weddings there? Is it a venue? No, no, actually, we're a church. We do a lot of ministry here. But you look on the outward and you go, I don't know, I don't know what, there's not much to that. But what's important about this building is not the outward. What's important about this building is when people show up, what's on the inside. Good reminder there on what's truly important. There's still much more to glean from the tabernacle and what it pictures. We'll have that for you tomorrow here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. 
Thanks for taking part in today's Bible study. To hear it again, visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com, or you can hear us through our app. Simply search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play and download the free app today. We also have a podcast on Apple Podcasts. Our pick of the month is Five-Minute Apologetics for Today by Ron Rhodes. As Christians, we sometimes encounter objections about the Bible, and maybe you're left wondering how to answer them or where do you look. This wonderful book offers you 365 quick answers to key questions. I think you'll find it super helpful the next time you come across a question you're not sure how to answer. And we'll gladly send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Just pick up the phone right now and call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. And we want this radio ministry to be the sort of ministry that God uses. That's our prayer and heart's desire. And if you'd like to get behind what we're doing and offer a one-time gift or ongoing support, we'd sure appreciate it. You can donate to the ministry at AboundingGraceRadio.com or again, call 877-30-GRACE. Join us each day on Abounding Grace as we go and grow through a study in Hebrews with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.